This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Part two of the fantastic world. I'm Greg Airbar, author of Hanna Barbera: The Recorded History. We return with our guest Sandy Freeze, whose book "Secrets Your Textbook Will Not Tell You About TV, Movies, and Life" is available now on Amazon.com. We rejoin Sandy as he recalls legendary lunches with Joe Barbera himself. Even at lunch, he's always fascinating and interesting and funny. And everybody in the building, regardless of what the project was, they loved doing what they were doing. These were thousands of people who were in various stages of the production. So there is a handmade quality to all of the stuff that they did, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The people who worked at Hanna-Barbera, every one of them was driven by the work they do. Every one of them that I know of enjoyed the work they did. So many talented people. It was just a phenomenal place to work. I absolutely loved working there. Let's talk about one of my favorite shows, and I'm telling you seriously, there's 420 individual Smurf cartoons. That may be a record, I don't know. (laughs) But I have watched and enjoyed them many times. And some people will say, oh, well, are you crazy? No. Not only is it remarkably uh, durable, series considering they didn't change the format it's like frazier they never changed the format until the very last season and that probably wasn't by choice it also was one of many instances where hanna barbera changed the course of entertainment because from that point on other cartoons were doing the fairy tale storybook adorable character magical land format but when hanna barbera did it the network was actually nervous because no one had done it before And it was wildly successful. Smurf mania was going on while you were there. It must have been very exciting to pitch ideas for it and challenging, too. Yeah, it was very, very, very exciting. Smurfs was just such a great property. It was a big, big, big rating success for NBC. I heard from friends who were accomplished professional adults who loved it, and kids loved it. Mm -hmm. And when you can get both audiences loving something... That is wonderful, and they still do. As a matter of fact, I remember once taking a cab ride, and the cab driver, he asked me what kind of work I did, and I said, well, I'm a writer. And he said, what kind of writing do you do? I'm a TV writer. Oh, really? What shows have you written for? I said, well, I've written for Star Trek The Next Generation, and Quantum Leap, and Fame, and Smurfs. And he said, wow. You wrote for the Smurfs. Yeah, exactly. What all due That's respect such to a the great others. Show. And I'm thinking, yeah, it is a great show. But yeah, he was jazzed by the Smurfs. Yeah, the characters were beautifully created. 
the art was beautiful. They certainly had their share of attention and praise and adulation, as Gus Schultz would say. The mid-80s was kind of a maybe a silver age for Saturday morning, just before it was starting to go away with home video and the new cable channels. You worked on The Littles, which was actually... Well, one how of did you know that? Yeah, that's yeah. I, I was the story editor. And then ushering in the era of the adorable characters, Care Bears, which was another I phenomenon. I was the story editor for the Care Bears. Yeah, and then one of my favorites. I know we're dancing away from Hanna-Barbera, but I love Thundercats. Love Oh, Thundercats. yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote three Thundercats episodes, and that was that was a lot of fun, too. And the thing about Thundercats that I didn't realize was it's still very, very popular mm-hmm. with students and people in general. You know, I've seen people walk by in Thundercats t-shirts. The logo's very cool. But yeah, I wrote three episodes for Thundercats, which was Rankin Bass. Right. Then I wrote, I think it was two episodes of, they asked me to write for, I think it was called Tiger Sharks. Oh, Tiger Sharks. Yeah, that was the comic strip uh, series. It was like an omnibus of a lot of different shows. Yeah, it was, I wrote for Tiger Sharks for Rankin Bass. They also asked me to write for Mini Monsters and some other show that was in that comic strip format. Boy, you know your stuff incredibly well. Congratulations on that. Well, I'm telling you, Thundercats was too many of us. And I'm sorry we're veering, but you know, when it comes to Thundercats, I'll veer. Because that show was so fun, and it had so many levels, because it was kind of campy, kind of silly, but also the stories were great. Talk about allegory. The fact that you had the dynamic of the mutants and Mumra and and why the Thundercats succeeded because of their unity. That my my, my wife will tell you. We have a running gag in our. It's the right thing to do. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know your stuff. That's amazing. Oh, it's um, fun. It was fun. Thundercats was very cool because you could work in cool little messages. I did an anti-drug episode called Crystal Canyon. I did another episode called Time Switch, which I think Lino in that episode got younger and younger. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was something that, one that sticks out, the scene that sticks out that I remember from that episode is he gets younger and younger and younger, and then he's like baby lion and you have this little baby lion going, Sunday, Thundercats, oh. <laughs> like a little baby version of lion That I remember. And what was another one I wrote? Uh, Psych Out. I liked the title of that. And that was, I think, the bad guy, if my memory's correct, was Aloro, who could make you think different, unusual things. He... he should have been in advertising, actually. <laughs> oh, that's another thing we should talk about, because you were too. <laughs> I, yeah, I was a staff writer for Young and Rubicam, writing for clients uh, like Ford, Gallo Wine, Armor Hot Dogs. Oh. And i got to say right now, although I wrote for Armor Hot Dogs, I implore people, do not eat hot dogs. I have no <laughs> idea what may or may not be in them. I remember being in a meeting with executives from Armor, and executives from the Young and Rubicam Advertising Agency, and they passed around like a platter of Armour hot dogs, Mm -hmm. and there were maybe a dozen people at this meeting, and I was the only person at the meeting who would not eat an Armour hot dog. It's like the phrase, you don't want to know how the sausage is made. You don't want to know how any hot dog is made, or bologna. I remember writing something for Oscar Mayer bologna also. It was kind of very goofy. I'm not even going to tell you. Started in advertising uh, at Young and Rubicam, 
They asked me to fly out from New York where I lived. It was interesting, but it was not my goal to start in advertising. However, there are plenty of creative people who did start their careers in advertising. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tons. Yeah. I could be wrong on this, but I believe Andy Warhol did. I think David Bowie did. Phil Hartman was an art director. He designed album covers, but I believe he worked for an agency as well. So, yeah, a lot of yeah. people did. Um, Crystal Canyon, you mentioned for Thundercats. Yeah, it was an anti-drug abuse episode. If my memory is correct, there was a canyon, and the crystals may have had some kind of drug-like effect. Mm-hmm. I think it may have been Tigra who overdid it with the crystal, but I don't remember a lot more about mm. that particular episode. You know, they were so long ago. Well, this is another thing about the era of the 80s, is it was the era of what Filmation really innovated with He-Man and Masters yeah. of the Universe. You had series that had to have 65 brand new episodes fast. And same thing with Thundercats. And then the Jetsons, they had to take those 24 and make, I don't know how many, to add. they actually passed, they went to like 75 or something. That's a lot of scripts, that's a lot of boards, and yet there was a lot of good stuff. Thundercats, beautiful opening sequence, yeah. beautiful theme music. I even still, in the morning, I'll play music to just energize myself. And I still, one or two times a week, play the Thundercat theme song just because it's so cool. <laughs> it and is uplifting. great. It is great. And I'll tell you, that is one of the greatest openings. It is a nonstop. And that was another, I think, Joe Barbera thing that it kind of goes back to is I call it the 60-second cell in the theme song. You have a theme song that's catchy, and you've got to get all the characters in and the entire premise in 60 seconds, and then you're done. Hanna-Barbera had some amazing, yes. phenomenal theme songs. You know, Johnny Quest, I have three cover versions of that, three different versions of that on Spotify. Mm-hmm. That theme song is phenomenal. What's such a great... And Hanna-Barbera had other great theme songs. But anyway, jumping back to Smurfs for a second... Another great theme song. <laughs> yeah, another great theme song. One of the things I did on Smurfs that I'm proud of is... I believe, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I believe I wrote the first disabled character in animation. It was a, for an episode called Hefty and the Wheel Smurfer, mm-hmm. and it got an Emmy nomination, and it got an award from the mayor of Los Angeles for public service. And after that, I did see characters with disabilities on other shows about a year after that or so. Mm-hmm. You know, having done that is something I'm proud of. It was an episode that I thought of very carefully in terms of the psychological elements of it. One of the things I wanted to do in the episode was explore how friends of a disabled person should deal with their friend who has a disability. Mm-hmm. I consulted with uh, psychological experts on what are, what are the feelings that kids might have about their friends who might have that obstacle. How should they deal with them? It's psychologically very complex. And what I did in the episode was a function of research on the psychological elements of it and how does a person with a disability feel, how do his friends feel, how do you be a good friend to somebody who might have a disability. In that episode, Hefty was in a wheelchair. I called it the wheel smurfer. Mm -hmm. And the episode was interesting and fun and entertaining, but it also had a lot of things that kids could learn from. You know, if, if you have the blessing of being able to communicate with millions of people through your writing, I kind of owe it to the creator of us all to 
just communicate good things in my writing and to maybe impart some lessons here or there. It's a very delicate kind of a process. You know, you want to get a message across, but you don't want to have it be too, let's hit people with a hundred pound weight kind of a yeah. thing. You want it to be something that's easy to digest and you want it to work, but you have to wrap your message in something that's for the Smurfs, genuinely entertaining, genuinely funny, that you don't care if there's a message or not almost. It's fun to watch. You know, fun and being interesting. And nobody wants to be lectured to, you know, oh, no. this is what you should do. That's what you should do. No. you got to make it engaging. you got to make it interesting. Was it your choice to choose Hefty as the Smurf that was going to take this, I hate to say journey because it sounds so, so award show, but... Yeah. Why was Hefty chosen? Yeah, that was my choice. The reason I chose Hefty was because he's Mr. Athletic. He's Hefty. He's a tough athletic guy. And I thought it would be most dramatic and most interesting to have that kind of rough, tough character in a wheelchair because it would have, theoretically, the biggest psychological impact on a guy who is into athletics, into sports, lifting barbells, that kind of thing. Yeah, that was my choice. You say a lot of adults were watching. You know what's running through people's minds. It's like my father used to be able to do all these things, and you know now he gets kind of frustrated because it's difficult for him to put on his shoes. Or When you have a dynamic character like that, you're really reaching into a whole lot more, and that kind of level, multi-level stuff, is really, really what made it effective. And I think that's why people responded to it. Yeah, and there were a lot of articles written about it. I, if I remember correctly, NBC News National did a story about it. The other thing that's important about the episode, I think, is most people have some kind of obstacle or obstacles they have to deal with. It might be a physical thing. They need more money than they have. But everybody's got obstacles to contend with. And that universal theme of dealing with an obstacle and overcoming an obstacle resonates with the viewer in a powerful and important way. If I have obstacle X and I see a character with the same obstacle, it makes me feel a little better because I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. And maybe I can learn something from what this character does. Smurfs was seen by millions of people. It reruns a lot. If it reached, I don't know, five million people, odds are it had some significant effect on a whole bunch of people. You know, I remember meeting with Gene Roddenberry when we were talking about Star Trek Next Generation. You know, I said something like, you know, Gene, this is a cool show because it has a lot of philosophical issues you could deal with. And he said to me, yes, Andy, that's right. But don't ever forget to throw in the photon torpedoes and the fights and the explosions because that's what a lot of people are looking for. Yeah, he knew how to tell a story and make a point. And that's why that stuff endures. And the yeah. points endure. There you go. There you go. They deal with universal themes that have been the case for thousands of years and will be the case for thousands of years. Universal themes like overcoming obstacles, loss, death, the importance of friends, the importance of family. Those universal themes were important hundreds of years ago and will continue to be important. And that's what hits the viewer on an emotional gut level. Mm -hmm. 
You know, we've got to do more of these, but I don't want to go before we mention that you have so many one-of-a-kind things from your days at Hanna-Barbera, the personal sketches and things like that. And, you know, you have some other things, too, from other areas. Uh, so I do have Star Trek memorabilia, you know, all kinds of cool visual stuff and things from my Star Trek work. I also have a lot of Hanna-Barbera memorabilia cells scripts with Joe Barbera's original handwritten notes to me on my scripts and also Joe Barbera drawings and character sheets and all kinds of cool Star Trek memorabilia. And I want this stuff to go to people who will appreciate it. So uh, if you're interested in any of this memorabilia or have any ideas uh, at a university or museum who might be interested, if you're an individual who's interested, you can contact me on Facebook or my email address is S-A-N-D-Y-F-R-I-E-S-2-6 at yahoo.com. It's all lowercase, no space. So again, my name, S-A-N-D-Y-F-R-I-E-S-2-6, uh, not spelled out, just numbers at yahoo.com or Facebook or let Greg know. He knows how to get in touch with me. Uh, amazing, beautiful stuff from Hanna-Barbera and Star Trek and other shows I've worked on, the animated Spider-Man show as well. And I really enjoyed talking with you. Well, I appreciate talking to you too. It's so great to talk to a kindred spirit and the wavelength is just there. It was a blast and I'm sure we'll be able to do this again and I think everybody else really enjoyed it. I mean, every time I think I've found out something, I find out something new. So it's a delightful opportunity and I'm really grateful that you joined us. Thank you for asking me and I'm a big, big, big fan of this podcast. Thank you for doing it, and thank you so much for preserving wonderful memories about Hanna-Barbera. Well, thank you all for listening. We hope you'll be able to join us again. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbera with Greg Airborne. Please join us again, and many thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.